So Jeremiah chapter 29, starting at verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah, the Queen Mother, the court officials, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metalsmiths had left Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elisar, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. There's going to be a test afterwards with all those names. (laughs) The letter stated, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles. I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you and don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. Wow, that's a powerful passage. Well, the people of Judah had been carried in chains to Babylon uh, after a brutal invasion that had left the city of Jerusalem a ruin. Although the Babylonian emperor encouraged people to assimilate into the empire, and many did, evidently they were allowed to follow their own customs. And for the Jews, this meant reimagining how they related to God because now they were separated from the land and the temple, the two things that had given them identity. Prophets had risen up uh, and said the exile would be short, just two years, and they'd be returning home. But the Lord told Jeremiah that the captivity would last not for two, but for 70 years. 70 years in Babylon. Now, a few, and we know this from later prophets, a few of the original exiles who would have been children at this stage would get to return to Israel, but generations would be born and die in exile, in captivity. Babylon was now home, the only home a generation of Jews would know. So how do you respond to that when your faith and identity is wrapped up in a place and you're no longer in that place. I mean, you'd have to think, surely this would mean cultural annihilation 
for the Jews. Now, keep in mind that a few people remained in Judah after the exile, but these people were on the whole uneducated, the poor mostly. You read the list of people who were carried into Babylon. The Babylonians, they were smart and they were taking all the smart and skilled people so that they could add to the wealth and the power and prestige of Babylon. The keepers of culture were removed from the land. But far from cultural annihilation, God had another plan for Israel, a hope and a future. And while that future was going to be in the land, first and foremost, it's wrapped up with their relationship with God. And so verses 12 and 13 says, You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will be found by you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And the exile did radically reshape what Judaism, uh, what we call now Judaism, looked like. But in the meantime, before that hopeful future came about, what were the people to do? How were they to act? How were they to reform themselves? Well, not so much reforming themselves, but what are they to do? God's answer is shocking. In verse 7 he says, Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Pray for the city that invaded your home, ruined it and carried you and your children away as prisoners, as slaves. Can you imagine Jeremiah in that situation? Sounds like he's a sellout, doesn't it? Sounds like he's a traitor. To understand how scandalous this is, you have to remember their situation. This would be like... Vladimir Putin taking a bunch of Ukrainians, resettling them in Russia, and then a Russian priest comes along and says, pray for the well-being of Moscow. That is not what the Ukrainians want to hear right now. When Israel went into exile, Babylon was both the city and its empire, but it also has a broader theological meaning. I mean, you read right up in Revelation, and it uses Babylon as a code word for Rome. So you remember right at the beginning of the Bible, the Tower of Babel. Well, that's often associated with Babylon, the pinnacle of human arrogance. It's not the sort of city you'd think we should be praying for its prosperity. Pursue the well-being of the city. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. The city itself is a significant theme in the Bible. I've been listening to uh, the Bible Project. Does anyone else listen to the Bible Project? If you don't, have a listen. It's really good stuff. And they've just been going through the theme of the city. And uh, so it's a significant theme. It's often um, a place of sin and oppression and corruption. And so when you think about the major cities we read about in the Bible, you've got Babel, Babel, Sodom and Gomorrah, Nineveh, Babylon, Rome, places of power, places that are anti-God. Jerusalem was meant to be different. Jerusalem is set up as an example of a good city, but even that fails. It falls into corruption and oppression, and that's why the people are ultimately exiled. 
the Bible also uses a city as a metaphor for the church. So near the end of Revelation, we see a city coming down from heaven, the new Jerusalem, which is an image of the church. The 5th century theologian Augustine uh, Augustine compared the city of God to the earthly city. The people of the earthly city only concern themselves with the things of this world, of this life, the, the cares and passions of this world. The people of the city of God care about the things of God, the things of the kingdom and its righteousness. And so what that means actually is that in the end, God redeems the city. There is hope for the city. But until then, Christians find themselves like the Jews as people who belong to the heavenly city living in the earthly city. We live in a kind of exile, but with the promise of a hope and a future. Let's just bring this into our situation today. Perth and Australia are hardly Babylon. But people often feel like that, the same sort of feelings. Many Aboriginal people feel like exiles in their own land. And of course, many people who were part of the stolen generation experienced a literal and painful kind of exile. The shifting social landscape means that many people feel like exiles in their own culture. Uh, They don't like where the culture is going socially and maybe morally and they don't feel like they belong. Many Christians who have lived through the past few decades have felt a kind of spiritual exile as the culture has moved away from its religious roots. Now, of course, much of the religious expression in Australia in the past was very surface. It was a cultural Christianity rather than actual discipleship. But Christians generally weren't considered the bad guys like we are now. And yet this city is our home, at least our our temporal home for now. Whether it's the Aboriginal Australian who feels marginalised, whether it's the Anglo-Australian who feels like their culture is passing them by, whether it's the migrant Australia who feels like they're not quite fitting in or welcome. Nevertheless, we find ourselves in this place and it's our home. Now, for the Christian, it's not our ultimate home. We may feel like we don't quite fit in and that we yearn for something more. Do you know what? That is actually healthy for the Christian. We're meant to yearn for more. We're meant to not quite fit in because this world is not, our well, as it stands, is not our final destination. But until Jesus returns, it's our home for the few decades that we're on this earth. And God says to us, Pursue the well-being of the city. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Because the city sure ain't going to pray for itself. We're in a series called Why Pray? Why pray? We pray so that our city can thrive. And so God's people can thrive in it. When the city does well, we all do well. Now, I want to make this concrete, as I said. I'm not talking about the idea of the city. And I want to draw it in. I talked about Babylon being both a a city and an empire. So, you know, we could talk about the city being a metaphor for the whole of Australia. But I want to talk today about Perth, the city that we live in, 
in 2023. How should we pray for our city? Have you even ever thought about praying for the city? We can get caught up in our daily concerns. Our daily concerns, the small, my house, my suburb, is where I live, my friendship circle, my work. But we forget that we're part of a a larger connected whole, ultimately globally, but for us in our immediate sphere in this city. As a church, maybe we can feel like we're just part of a small suburban church that doesn't count for a whole lot in the big scheme of things, as much as we love it. The reality is for many of us, actually, we don't call the suburb of Bentley or its surrounding, immediate surrounding suburbs home. Many of you do, but many don't. And so while Bentley is the centre of our church life, because we, we come from all over the city, actually having a bigger vision for the city is probably more natural to us than we may think. So what does it look like to pray for the well-being of Perth? Well, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us a model for prayer and it's uh, in it he teaches us to pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for God's kingdom to come to Perth. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does it mean specifically, concretely, to be praying for God's kingdom to come to earth? What might it look like if God's kingdom came to earth? I'm going to give you something to do right now. Turn to the person next to you. Have a think about it. And then turn to the person next to you and ask them if they've got any ideas. What do they think the coming kingdom coming to Perth would look like? But look, I want to share a few ideas with you. And, and this, this is me. As I say, this isn't the only way. And uh, there's no right or wrong answers, but there's a whole multiplicity of them. But for me, when I think about the, praying for the kingdom of God to come to Perth and what that would look like and sound like, I think it sounds like praying for revival, actually. So th- there are physical, uh, material, temporal things we can pray for God to bless the city with, and I think we should. Okay, So I'm, I'm not writing that off. I'm not saying, oh, well, you just have to get spiritual. But when it comes down to it, when I pray for our city, what I want to see personally is revival come, that God will sovereignly and supernaturally move in hearts to bring about repentance and faith in Jesus. Can you imagine what revival in Perth might look like as people turn to God, as as we got a drug problem in Perth. Can you imagine revival and people getting freed from addiction? Can you imagine revival and people being reconciled to one another where there's been division in, in, in families or communities? Can you imagine reconciliation between Indigenous Australians and newer Australians, can you imagine churches being full? Can you imagine prayer meetings during the week in full churches? Harmonious workplaces, harmonious families. The kingdom of God coming has a very concrete benefit to a city. I think we can pray for the well-being of the city by praying for revival.
Secondly, Jesus said to pray for harvesters to be raised up and go out into the harvest. The harvest field, we saw this a few weeks ago, the harvest field is ready. What's needed is people to go out to the harvest. And so I think praying for the well-being of our city is praying for evangelists and missionaries to be raised up and go out into our city. We support, and we support both in Perth, but we, we think about missions out there and we want to see the kingdom of God come to there, but what about in our city? We can pray for the ministries that are already doing that in our city. Jesus also said that we as his people are salt and light. We're actually, to use that metaphor again, where he said a city on a hill can't be hidden because it's on the side of a hill, people have their lamps on, that sort of thing, and you just can't hide it. We're a city within a city. And so praying for the well-being of our city means praying for the church in the city. We can pray for other churches and, and the church uh, citywide. And, and that, I think, then looks like, what does that mean? Christians seeking God's will and making disciples. He says we're a light. And being a light implies that there's darkness that needs lighting up. So Paul writes to the Philippian church and he writes for us that we would be children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm the word of life or to the word of life. So what are stars used for? Stars are used for navigation. One of my great joys growing up was learning how to use the Southern Cross to navigate. Uh, stars are used for telling the seasons. Stars are used for inspiring worship. We're salt. Salt is used for making food tasty and for preserving. We can pray that the church, and that includes us, in our city will be salt and light for our city so that the city can be blessed. If God's kingdom is going to come and revive Perth, it's going to start with Christ's church. And history tells us it'll probably start in a prayer meeting with a few of God's people desperately seeking him. Paul also instructed Timothy to lead the church in petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving for kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And so praying for our city includes praying for our political leaders and our civic leaders. Uh, I know sometimes we'd rather pray against some of our political leaders. Paul wrote this into a situation where the government was not friendly towards Christians. He said, pray for them. That God, so that God's people can live as God's people in relationship with him. So pray for our leaders. Pray from the prime minister down, you know, the mayor and CEO of, of your city, uh, local councillors, school principals. Do you pray for your boss or the CEO of the company of, uh, that runs your company? Pray for them. We're pretty good at whinging about them. Pray for them. Pray against the spiritual forces of evil that come against them and try to deceive them and attack them. Pray so that our city can...
can prosper so that we may lead tranquil and quiet lives in godliness and dignity. Pray for the well-being of our city. Intercede for it. Now, we did have a video, but we've got some technical issues this morning. So I just want to tell you on our website, uh, in the What's On section, there's a link to the World Prayer Assembly, which is a big, uh, actually global gathering that's happening in Perth. These things have only happened a, a couple of times um, in the last 50 years. Uh, the eyes of the world, the prayers of the world will be focused on Perth. Um, the convention centre is being hired out. It's going to run for a week. There'll be night sessions and people in, a, in Perth, Australia, around the world are going to be praying. There's a lot of prayer focusing on Perth in this season. And I want to encourage you to look up those details and, uh, and we'll be promoting it as we get closer, but just pencil in those dates in your diary. So pray. Pray for our city. Pray for the leaders in our city. Pray for the church in our city. Pray for revival to come to our city. You know, revival has actually, there's been words about revival in Perth as long as I've been here and probably longer. And I want to see it happen. I don't know about you. Pray. Because when this city does well, so do we. And God is glorified. Let's pray. Father, you have called us to prayer. And you have called us to pray for our city. So, Father, we do that right now. We pray for the city of Perth. And we prayed a bit earlier. But, Lord, we just we pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done in Perth as it is in heaven. Father, we pray that you will pour out your spirit on us here at Bentley Baptist, on the churches around the city and into the streets. Father, our, our city has had so much material prosperity over the years. Father, we pray for spiritual prospering. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.